The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation, which we affectionately call Human. I'm Jim Nickens, and I'm pleased to serve as your worship associate this morning. On behalf of our pastor, the Reverend Dave Dunn, our music director, Alex Peach, and our director of religious education, Melinda Mischief, I welcome you. I also want to thank the worship team that makes these online services possible. If you can't always find time to join us every Sunday morning, Please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can be notified when we post new videos. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Please visit our website, human.org, that's U-U-M-A-N dot O-R-G, to learn more about us. There's a visitor information request on the main page. Please fill that out and someone from the membership team will be in touch. We are a liberal religious community guided by seven principles which can be found on our website, human.org. We are striving to create a diverse and welcoming, multi-generational, multi-racial community where all can thrive. Our vision is to be a vital and visible community for all, bravely working toward the day when social, economic, and environmental justice is a reality. Whatever path you're on, wherever your journey is taking you, whoever you love, you are welcome here as you are. Please check the calendar on the website and human announcements for all the announcements and a rundown of all the things going on around our little church. Even though we're apart, it's still a busy place. Now, settle your mind and be present here now. Good morning. Today's call to worship is by the poet Naomi Shihab Nye. Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is where he's come from, where he's headed. That way, he'll have the strength enough to answer. Or by then, you'll be such good friends that you don't care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts. Here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve water to your horse. No, I was not busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone put on to pretend they had a purpose in the world. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. Good morning, all, and welcome to Human. It's good to be with you. Let us serve you this morning. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. Deep calls unto deep, joy calls unto joy, light calls unto light. Let the kindling of this flame rekindle in us the inner light of love, of peace, of hope. And as one flame lights another, nor grows the less, we pledge ourselves to be bearers of the light wherever we are. Fifteen years ago today, the women's 
cross-country skiing team sprint event was held at the Olympic Games in Turin, Italy. And it was Canadian Sarah Renner's third Olympics, yet she had never medaled. But this team sprint, it's a two-person team sprint, uh, this was her best chance for a medal. And one of their main rivals for a medal was the Norwegian team. Now, cross-country skiing it is a form of Nordic skiing, which is Norway's national sport. They are very proud of their Nordic skiing in Norway. Now, in this race, all the competitors race at the same time. And Sarah, she started strong. She's near the front. Then a freak accident happens. One of the other competitors accidentally stepped on her pole, one of her poles, breaking it in half. Now, poles are very important in cross-country skiing. With every step, you push off with both of your poles. And this is a sprint race. Everyone is going as fast as they can. There's, there's not that much time to make up lost distance. So she's losing time with this broken pole. And in just a matter of seconds, she's being passed by skiers from Finland, Sweden, and even Norway, her main rival. Her dreams of a medal were all but lost. Then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a mystery man steps onto the course and hands Sarah a pole. She didn't have time to think or thank him. She's going as fast as she can. She's sprinting. She takes the pole. She keeps going. And she passed many of her competitors, including Norway. And Sarah and her, her partner on the team, they finished second winning a silver medal. And the Norwegian team, well, they finished fourth, off the podium. No medals for them. So who was this mystery man who stepped onto the course and handed Canadian Sarah a ski pole? Well, his name was Bjorner Hackensmoen, who happened to be the Norwegian ski team's coach. His single act of sportsmanship enabled Sarah to medal at the expense of his very own team. Well, how did the people of Norway feel when their very own coach essentially prevented their team from capturing a medal in their national sport? Well, they couldn't have been prouder of him, that he would do that. Such a selfless act of sportsmanship. And how do the Canadians feel about him? Bjorner Hackensmoen is now an Olympic hero in Canada. People from all over Canada flooded him with flowers and cards, and one company even sent Norway, as a gift, five tons of Canadian maple syrup. Sarah Renner said, he was my valentine on that day. So you're a banker. You make money. Your, your business depends on you collecting interest on money that you lend out. Now, you might be suspicious of lending money to people who have no money because they are an obvious credit risk. 
You'd prefer to lend money to the wealthy, people who already have money, people who have no problem paying you back. This is a paradox. There's a name for it, actually. Not surprisingly, it's called the banker's paradox. You don't want to lend money to people who need it. You do want to lend money to people who don't need it. The thing is, fortunately, we as humans generally don't operate according to the banker's paradox. Of course, there are always exceptions. But generally speaking, as an evolving species over the course of human history, we found a way around the banker's paradox. We lend our personal and emotional capital to people who we might deem to be personal and emotional credit risks. I mean, look at your life. You probably have friends, family, other relationships with people who, let's face it, need a little bit of help from time to time. Say you're traveling in some state, you've never been there before, and you've decided that you hate this state that you're traveling in, and you say, I am never coming back here again. And before you leave, you, you stop at a restaurant, and you get a bad meal, confirming the, your opinion that you don't like this state. But before you leave the restaurant, what do you do? You leave the waiter or waitress a tip. Why? You're never going to be there again. You will never see that waiter or waitress again. Why leave them a tip? You can definitely get away with not leaving them a tip. Yet why do you? There have been studies done where people relate that they'd have a profound sense of hopelessness if 100 years after they die, they would know that humanity would be obliterated in some sort of cataclysmic event. Why would they feel hopelessness? It would be 100 years after their death. They wouldn't experience this cataclysmic event, nor would anyone that they know, any of their loved ones, experience this cataclysmic event. Why might we feel hopelessness? Because of what might happen to strangers, to people whom we will never know. What is it about who we are that causes us to feel this way? What is it about who we are that causes us to behave altruistically towards people we will never meet again? What is it about who we are that causes us to keep on taking emotional credit risks with people who sometimes need help? About 55,000 years ago, Modern Homo sapiens, previously living in an area around the Great Rift Valley in Central East Africa, walked out of that valley. And throughout the course of subsequent human history, Homo sapiens have spread throughout the entire land of the globe. Humans have adapted to live an every land environment 
and the globe. Tropical rainforests, the desert, the Arctic, Cleveland. I, ha I have to say that. I'm from Pittsburgh. They would do the same to me. There's some grudging respect between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, actually. I mean, the Browns knocked the Steelers out of the playoffs this year. So, go Browns. Anyway, my point is, humanity spreading all across the globe in every land area, that's an amazing feat. An amazing feat for one species to be able to accomplish that. Now, if we, as a species, must adapt to our environment, what might be the consistent feature, the common denominator that has allowed us to adapt and grow in such a wide range of environments? The consistent feature, the common denominator that has allowed us to adapt is the presence of other humans. Yale sociologist and Dr. Nicholas Christakis says that throughout our history, we have evolved and adapted to live and thrive in the presence of other humans, and that that has been the common feature. Now, I attended a Catholic university, and in my freshman year of college, I had to take a, a religion course that was taught by a nun. And at the time, I'm thinking, I couldn't wrap my mind around that, that it was being taught by a nun. But that just revealed my stereotypes around that issue. She was an excellent professor. But during the class, she said that it was her belief that humans are fundamentally good and that we are becoming more peaceful as a species. And I thought, what planet are you living on? What humans could you possibly be talking about? Have you heard of the Holocaust? Have you heard of the reign of terror? Have you heard of the Cambodian, Cambodian killing fields? Yet actually the data shows that up to 30% of early humans perished due to intentional violence. Today, only one in 1,000 perish from intentional violence. And that statistic is, in our only, is only in our most violent communities. As a species, we are becoming less and less violent. When you take the long view of evolutionary history. Now, when faced with someone who might need help, might be a credit risk, the, if one would make decisions based upon survival of the fittest, that might orient one or cause one to act purely out of one's own self-interest and abandon the needy person in an, in an effort not to be pulled down by their neediness. And although that can and does happen, it's generally not what does happen. Why not? Our highly developed brains, relatively speaking, in the animal kingdom, have led uh, us to the development of a wide variety of skill sets. And none of us excels at all the skill sets. We are all needy in some way. 
We are all needy of at least one skill set. We might be needy in one skill set, yet proficient in other. We might not be very good hunters, but we might be very good at living off the land. And another person might be good at growing food, and another at navigation, and another at building shelters. These are all necessary skills for our survival as a species. And for this reason, evolutionary psychologists believe that we have evolved to get around the banker's paradox by building relationships with other humans, by making friends with other humans, something exceedingly rare in the animal kingdom. Not non-existent, but very rare. We cooperate with strangers. And that these traits, these inclinations, lead to our long-term survival as a species. Yet it can't be denied that as individual Homo sapiens, it's, shockingly, it's shocking how deficient and needy we are as individuals in so many skill sets. I, don't, I wouldn't know where to begin to put a roof on my house or to build a cell phone or a television or build a car. I wouldn't know how to grow my own food or make my own clothes. I'd have to ask people how to do that. My deficiencies and needs are endless. You know them well. But we're all this way. We are all credit risks. Yet, as a species, we cooperate with total strangers. Sometimes we cooperate with people we don't even like much, but we do it in order to meet one another's needs and to build a good society. It's not always perfect. Sometimes we procrastinate, like addressing climate change is a very good example. But I believe that we, as a species, are finally beginning to address and cooperate even on this issue. So I can hear you say, yeah, Dave, this is all great, but I hear you, but we all know that not everyone behaves this way. Some people aren't necessarily interested in building a good society. And that is true. We all know that some people can act as fake friends, liars, cheaters, double-crossers. Yet we also seem to know that what goes around comes around and that those folks usually get their comeuppance. And who knows, from an evolutionary standpoint, maybe those unfavorable characteristics, lying, cheating, double-crossing, maybe those are like unfavorable mutations that are weeded out of our genome over the long term because they are ultimately hurtful to the species to the organization, to the company, to the congregation, to the family. Yet sometimes some mutations do, as they do, they, they, they fall through the cracks. And some less than desirable characteristics are successful and flourish. Those who embody such characteristics might rise to power, get elected to public office. And then what happens? The rest organize as never before form new relationships, cooperate in new ways as never before, encircle and marginalize that less than desirable mutation. And that is good. 
not simply for ourselves, but for the future of a flourishing species, for our descendants. Some theologies claim that God created everything good, which leads to the obvious question, where does evil come from? Why do we have evil? In theology, with a perfect God, or even an imperfect or non-existent God, this question about evil is called theodicy. What is the theological explanation nature of evil? Flipping this question, Nicholas Christakis says that from a positive perspective, we can analogously focus on what he calls sociodicy, which is the vindication of our confidence in the virtue of a society, despite its numerous failures that are so obvious to anyone. Sociodicy, the vindication of our confidence in the virtue of society, despite its obvious failures that are, that are obvious to anyone. And this is not just idle optimism. Rather, it's a recognition of the fundamental good that lies within us. Channeling Theodore Parker, Unitarian minister, he says, the arc of our evolutionary history is long, but it bends towards goodness. This is good news for me, for you, for us, for humanity, and for all our descendants. to fulfill and further the vision and mission of this congregation, we ask that our members and friends bring forth and share their many and varied gifts. With this, we will now take the offering using the Giveify app. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we meet again. Brazilian eco-feminist nun Yvonne Guevara, tried, convicted, and silenced by Pope John Paul II's Vatican, writes, I am convinced that despite our obvious differences, when we make contact with the deepest level of every human being's experience, we will find it grounded in a single shared mystery that invites us all to act in ways that express communion, equality, and reciprocity. May it be so. Go in peace and enjoy your week.